Hello, everybody. Welcome to the RV Connects podcast. Come travel with our family of four as we tow our way across North America in our 29-foot travel trailer, our two teenage daughters, and our Canadian pride. This is episode 44. As always, I'm Melina, and I am joined by my husband, Dan. Hello. And today we are very excited to continue the very long series of our RV Connects 2021 Grand Tour, where we'll be talking about Banff National Park. So if you're just joining this episode, uh, this is part of our grand trip from Ontario out to Banff and Jasper. And so we've covered off Drumheller in the Badlands, and now we're going to talk about the part where we made our trip and our visit into Banff. So Banff National Park is an hour and a half west of Calgary. It is Canada's first national park. It is the flagship of the national park system, and for good reason. If you're at all on Instagram, follow us, first of all, at RV Canucks. But if you're on Instagram, you have seen Banff, and you have seen Lake Louise, even if you didn't know what they were, because you will have seen just absolutely stunning snow-capped mountains 12 months of the year. You have seen turquoise blue lakes, Uh, with red canoes on them. That's Lake Louise. It is just, it is one of the gems in North America that I think every person likes to see. I think it's probably the Canadian version of like Yellowstone or, you know, it's just something really majestic, amazing mountains, amazing town, huge, vibrant outdoors community, fantastic for skiing in the winter. And it is a massive, expansive park. When we talk big, it's like 6,600 square kilometers. It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it is definitely worth the visit for every single person in North America and beyond if you can get to it. On this episode, we've decided to split up Banff and Lake Louise into two episodes because I think they're both deserving of their own, and I think trying to cram it into one episode would just be way too much. So today we're just going to deal with strictly staying in Banff, the trailer amenities, a little bit about the town and the recreation, and then on next episode, we're going to talk specifically about Lake Louise, Lake Moraine, the tea houses, the tea house challenge, and go through a little bit about the outdoor recreation in that portion of the park. So before we get into that, I want to detail or remind everybody a little bit about the uniqueness of the national park booking system. It's a little bit different than you would get in a typical provincial or a state reservation system where typically you have, you know, five months to the day of your reservation, you can go on and book and you make your reservation and it's timed and it's very competitive. The national park reservation system is somewhat similar. However, I think it's a little more of an equitable system. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. I also did an Instagram video out about booking it. And I believe I did it in April because that is when reservations open for Banff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link to that specific Instagram video in the show notes so that if you want the five, like full five minute primer on how to book national parks or some of the tips we had, I will put that there so you can watch it. But one of the things I will say about the reservation system, no matter which national park you're booking at across Canada, all reservations open on different days. So usually, you know, between January and April, there'll be a listing on the Parks Canada website that tells you when the reservations open, you go on that day, and all of the reservations open at 8am local time for the park that you want to visit. However, I did discover and this is kind of my one biggest tip is that uh, once 8am local time happens, anybody who's browsing the site gets kicked out of the site, and you get put into an automatic queue system. However, I did realize 
through trial and error booking several national parks this summer is that when it lets you back in from the queue, it spits you out or it seems to spit you out at the page where you left off, which is really handy if you happen to be on the camping loop page of the loop that you want to stay in because it cuts down a whole lot of clicking, saves some time and your chances of getting the site that you want go way up. So that would be my one tip is is go on early and make sure that you've done your research enough on the park that when you get put in the queue, you're on the page that you want to be on or that you're, you know, your top three or five sites are already on. And we did that. And Banff and uh, Jasper National Parks are probably the top two national parks in the country. And we definitely got the spots that we wanted and they were phenomenal. So the other tip that I would say is that you can use multiple devices. So what I did is I had an iPad, I had my iPhone, and I had a laptop. And what I did was I put myself on the reservation pages that I wanted to be on, and I let the system kick me into the queue. And then all I did was have a look at my three devices, picked the one with the shortest queue because it's just randomly assigned. And one of the times, you know, my phone, I think, was at like, you know, 7,000 in line, but the laptop was like 1,200. So what I did was I just exited out of the queues because you do want to be a good consumer. We're only making one reservation, so you don't need to sit and hold three queues when somebody else could be let in. So what I did was I just kept the smallest or the shortest queue, and then I, I left the other two queues so that somebody else could get in. So those are, those would be my top two tips. However, if you want to see the full video, I will put the link to that in the show notes. Maybe Dan, you can talk about the other aspect of reserving a national park. And that's the requirement not only to have your reservation, but you do also need to purchase a Parks Canada park pass. Right. So you're going to pay for or reserve and then pay for a campsite just like Melina talked about. But you also need a parks pass to get you in. And that's an annual pass that lets you into the park. That park pass you can use throughout the year and think of it like a big day pass. Would you say that that's a pretty good description of it? Mm -hmm. So you have a couple options. You can order that in advance and it will get sent to your house and the clock will start ticking. So perhaps you decide you want to go away in August and you're trying to be diligent and you're going to order it and it comes to your house in June and you've got everything set. Your parks pass is good until next June. In our particular case, we knew that we weren't going to use our parks pass until we got to Banff, so we didn't order ahead. We actually paid for it at the booth as you enter into the park and paid for it right there. The advantage to us now is that that park pass is good until next August. So the park pass was a real simple purchase. It takes you longer to order a double-double in the drive-thru than pick up the pass, would you say? Mm -hmm. And you get your pass and you're off to the races. Yeah. And there, there is no additional cost for buying it at the gate. It's just you purchase it online or you purchase it at the gate. The reason you might want to have the longer availability is perhaps it just, you know, it saves costs next year if you're going to travel earlier in the season. But chances are that you live somewhere near a national park in your, in your, in your hometown. That's probably a less smaller, well-known one. You can use that pass to get in and there's all kinds of great museums and activities and We've even used it since we got it. And so it saved us a lot of money and it's kind of paid for itself, would you say? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent it already has because we used it already in Banff and Jasper. We used it to access the Cave and Basin National Historic Site, which we'll talk about. So it's already paid for itself. Great stuff down near Niagara Falls if you were going to camp in this area. So there's all kinds of places that you can use it. 
yeah, you can use it at any like Fort George, you know, any of those places. There's a ton of places on the list that it will gain you access to. So it's going to be a really useful tool for us. And I think we'll probably just renew it anyway, come August when we when our time is up, I think. Yep, definitely. So in terms of your RVing options, there are a ton of options. Obviously, for us, the more preferable way to go is to stay in the national park itself. There's a ton of private RV parks, which are no doubt very beautiful. There's some of them along the Bow River, which are fantastic. But as you know, if you follow the show, we do stay at all kinds of parks. We we love RV parks. We love RV resorts. And there's sort of a time and a place for them. But I think it was important to us on this trip. I mean, we have a 29-foot trailer, so let's not kid ourselves. We're not going backcountry camping anymore. But I think we wanted to have, you know, a little more of that typical provincial park, national park, rustic feel. That being said, there are a couple of options available to you in Banff National Park. So you've got the Tunnel Mountain Campground, which consists of the Tunnel Mountain Trailer Court, the Tunnel Mountain Village 1, and the Tunnel Mountain Village 2. All of them are all right beside each other. There's really no difference, except you're probably going to laugh with my next sentence after I've just qualified the fact that we wanted a more like realistic camping experience. However, we chose to stay in the Tunnel Mountain Trailer Court because it is the only one out of the three that has full hookups. And I'm all about the bougie shower in my own trailer when I can get them. Definitely. And I think the campsites were pretty well laid out. I would say that they're private in the sense that you can't hear the conversation in the next campground and it's pretty quiet. Not private in the sense that you can probably see all the way down the road and you can see what everybody's outside or inside of their trailer or their RV. Hmm. Other thing to note is that most of the sites, I guess you would call them a pull-through site. They're they're parallel to the road. I don't recall seeing any sites where you actually backed in. Do you? No, they're yeah. all kind of pull-in. So the difference between the village campgrounds and the trailer court is that the trailer court was kind of like Dan's as a pull-through, but it was like a very, you know, shallow half crescent where you would just kind of roll in and and it was kind of on a bit of an angle, which was which was fortunate because we could sort of angle the trailer right towards the mountains, which was fantastic. And then I think the, you know, the village campgrounds on either side of the trailer court are more, it almost looks like, you know, parallel parking. Like you're just kind of pulled up at the side of the road. It's very odd in that sense, but... Still, you know, the sites are quite spacious, just not a lot of trees between them, not a lot of privacy. Yeah, definitely. So we stayed, and I'm going to give you the best site number that we have ever stayed at. And if we were to stay there again, I would get this site again, site 101. And I basically booked this site just based on the photo views that you get when you go onto the park's website and you just start clicking on sites. The reason that I would choose this site is it's in the very front row. So the rows are parallel to the road, parallel to to Tunnel Mountain, and then they go backwards. So we were kind of in the front row right at the road. However, the road, which we didn't find out to my delight until we got there, the road is like graded down a bit. So when you're sitting in the campground, it looks like it's you and the mountains. Like unless a car is driving down that road, which isn't very busy, it's almost like you have the mountains all to yourself. It's like it's like your trailer. You've got a beautiful field in front of you, which was great for like tossing the ball around. And then you've got the mountains. So it was the most beautiful spot knowing that you're in with a bunch of different people that it still felt like with the angle of the trailer, like it was very private, a very beautiful view first thing in the morning definitely one of my favorite campsites we've ever stayed at. 
Yep, and I would highly recommend that. Not every site has got lots of space for throwing a Frisbee or tossing a ball. So if you've got kids that like to burn off some energy, it's probably a really great area to do that because they can do it not too far from the trailer and you can keep a, a good eye on them. Mm -hmm. So in terms of location, all of the Tunnel Mountain campgrounds are located like three, three and a half kilometers from Banff itself, from downtown Banff, which is not a long ways. You can walk there in about 40 minutes. There's a couple of trails down the mountain. You can ride a bike. However, make it known that the Tunnel Mountain trailer court is like pretty much halfway up a mountain. So if you walk down, you have to walk back up. If you ride your bike down, you have to ride back up. And it is a slog. Like driving down it, the road is very narrow. There is a small bike lane, but it's almost like a bit of a snaky switchback road a little bit, like quite windy on the way down the mountain. Yeah, I, I think I'd feel comfortable walking down. I'd feel comfortable walking up. I think, though, you'd have to be aware of your surroundings because you are close to the traffic. Not that it's going fast, but it, it can get a bit busy. And I think more than once we saw an ambitious group of people spread out walking their way back. Now, if I remember correctly, there's also a kind of a shuttle bus service into the town as well. There is a shuttle bus service. And when we rode it, so masks were mandatory for COVID. You know, I don't know by next next summer what will be happening. And I think it was, it was free one way, but I can't remember which way. It was either like free to get downtown and you paid like $2 or something to get back. It was, it was really, really reasonable anyway. And a really good way to shuttle yourself around with, especially if you have like a motorhome where you can't disconnect, there are services to get you downtown into all the major sites in Banff for sure. Yeah, you've got lots of options. Right across too from the campground areas, there's a trail called the Hoodoo Trail, which is a 6.2 mile loop. It's pretty easy. It's a moderate, easy to moderate trail. Uh, we did not go on that trail. And when you listen to the next episode, you'll find out why, because we just opted for a 15 to 18 kilometer hike the next day. And we were only in Banff for three days. So we opted out of the Hoodoo Trail, but it is a beautiful trail. And it's a fairly moderate trail, which you can take right from the campground, which is fantastic. I also did discover while we were there and standing there looking at the Tunnel Mountain Lookout and wondering why I couldn't see a tunnel. <laughs> and that is because there was supposed to be a tunnel Originally, it was proposed to be blasted through the mountain in the late 1800s as part of a CP rail line. And they sort of discovered there was a bit of a blunder in the survey and they discovered they could do it around the mountain and save like a million bucks. And so they did that. So the name just stuck. So there is no tunnel in Tunnel Mountain, if anybody was wondering. We did get the benefit from a helicopter shuttling picnic tables up and down a mountain, though, that kind of flew through the valley. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was. I forgot about that. Um, so downtown Banff. What do we want to say about downtown Banff? Maybe start, let's start with like provisions. So if you need to go to the grocery store in downtown Banff, good luck finding parking. <laughs> yeah, so I don't really think we looked ahead as to what we were going to need to do down there for parking. And so we just kind of figured, well, we'll drive in, we'll find the grocery store, we'll get groceries and we'll leave. And so there's a really nice IGA, clean, lots of selection. All the checkouts were open. Service was great. Mm -hmm. there's no parking down there. We managed to find one place to park in front of it with the truck that said 15 minutes strictly enforced. And so Melina, Fiona, and I all went into the store to go pick out groceries. And at the 14-minute mark, I ran back out to the truck and hopped in the truck so we wouldn't be 
uh, get in trouble with the 15-minute strictly enforced warning, only to have Fiona show up at the truck five minutes later saying, Mom needs your wallet. You left with all the money to pay for the groceries. <laughs> so we kind of, we got our groceries and we got out of there, but it was it was a bit of an ordeal as we kind of drove around the streets trying to find proper parking. Mm-hmm. So maybe share the solution we had to that. So the solution to that, which we found, is that there is ample parking downtown. It's free at the train station. It Basically, you drive downtown, you go to the train station, you park in a huge parking lot, and then you can walk into the village, which is three, four blocks. It's five-minute walk. Mm-hmm. Nice and easy, flat, no hills to go up. So that's really good. And that's what we did probably three or four times, you'd say? Yep, for so, sure. You know, I think that's the ideal solution because this is actually a really walkable town. I don't really think you want to be driving your car around it any more than you have to. No. And part of the downtown core is closed off to traffic anyway. It's just a pedestrian. There's a small pedestrian block where it's like patios and foot traffic only. So it does block up the main street a little bit from from traffic, which means you you kind of have to drive around if you need to get to certain places. But the train station was phenomenal. There is plenty of RV parking there. There is no overnight parking. And Banff like nails down. Like they are, when we say parking strictly enforced, it is strictly enforced, particularly overnighting because they would just have people there trying to stay at the train station every night. But definitely, definitely the best place. The washrooms are great. They're clean. The train station itself was pretty neat. It would be, I'm going to say, like 20s, 30s vintage. Yeah, it kind of reminds you of the the heyday, the golden age of railroad travel. It actually reminded me of the Overlook Hotel inside. (laughs) It gave me a bit of the um, Shining vibes. But I went in there to use the washroom just before the building closed and I was the only one in there. So it was a little bit creepy to me. But but it's about that vintage, like dark wood paneling, all that kind of stuff. In terms of downtown tons of restaurants you'll get everything from like chain restaurants like the keg we ate at the banff avenue brewing company which you kind of can't miss it's in this big twist looking building you know like kind of like a swiss chalet it's on it's on the second floor on the main drag yeah on the main drag and there's sort of like a swiss looking balcony which you can sit and eat and overlook the street fantastic food fantastic beer they brew their own beer so banff Brewing Company and Jasper Brewing Company both have their own. We chose some of the Jasper selections at the beer store to bring back to our campground. I don't remember what we got, but it was a little like heavy for my taste. I preferred the Banff Avenue Brewing Company, but we did get the beer flight. And even like the raspberry beer or whatever we had was like fantastic. So if you go to the Banff Avenue Brewing Company, bring me back some beer. The White Wit was amazing. <laughs> and we brought cans of that home. And I'm very sad that it's all gone. Yeah, it's too bad we haven't found a way to get any of it here in Ontario. But that place was really good. Yeah. Also, the wine store. They had this, like, darling wine store in the basement. Like, with, like, six-foot ceilings of some store. Like, the best selection of wine I probably have ever seen. And I will look up the name of it to give props to whoever owns it because it was an awesome wine store. Really unique stuff. Like you can tell this guy was like a connoisseur with what he brought in. It's not your typical like Western wines or BC wines only or like LCBO quality. Like it was really thoughtfully done where these wines came from across the world. And we got some really amazing picks in that store. It's a delightful hole in the wall that's not a lot of square footage, but man, have they packed it with some really great stuff that you can try and it's not too heavy on your wallet. Mm -hmm. Not too heavy. So speaking of heaviness on wallets, do we want to explain how the souvenir stores work? The souvenir stores are probably chain owned because it would not be uncommon to go into 
two or three different souvenir stores and find the same t-shirt or the same keychain or magnet. And I think that you actually bought Isla a sweater or a set of jogging pants. And when they didn't have her size, they kind of ran out the back door down the street, grabbed a pair and got the size that you needed. Does that sound right? Yeah. So she had this pair of sweatpants she wanted to buy and they didn't have her size. So she ran out the front door down the street and into like the store three doors down, which was like a differently themed itineration of the same souvenir shop, but they're on either sides of the street and you're going to see the same mugs, the same t-shirts, the same sweaters and all of them. Now, don't get me wrong. They're great. They're beautiful. Like the girls got some really great hoodies and I love Isla sweatpants. I kind of wish that I got a pair of them, but they're all kind of owned by the same people. So when you've seen like about five, you've seen them all and there's probably two dozen. Yeah. And you know what? Let's not kid ourselves. Your takeaway here is that you're probably going to leave with a Banff t-shirt or a sweater. And so if they don't have your size in the first store, just ask rather than trying to fight your way down through three different stores. Now, the other thing I'd say about the shopping though, is there's lots of unique little stores there that aren't chains. Mm-hmm. There was a great Western wear store where we had to pick up belts because we forgot to pack belts on the trip and we needed our jeans. But there's lots of cool little one-off unique stores in the downtown as well. Mm-hmm. It is very, it's a very cool town. It's very touristy though. And I would say I much preferred the feel of Jasper as a town. Like it just seemed more like chill, more livable. And it would be like the difference between like Venice Beach in Southern California and like somewhere like Pismo Beach. That's like a true surfer's town where it's not overly commercialized, if you will. Yep, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Downtown Banff is, you know, a fairly small footprint, a lot to do. I'm also going to look up and put in the show notes and I'm sorry that it just occurred to me. Do you remember how good that pizza was? Oh, yeah. That we had in Banff. It was the best pizza I've ever had in my life. And I totally just forgot about it until right now. So I'm. it was in a hotel on the end of the Banff Strip. So I am going to put that in there and make sure you have pizza at this joint because it was amazing. It was amazing. The crust was like the best I've ever had. And we'd had a busy day that day. We'd I don't know if we had done the hike or we'd done the horseback riding, but we, had, we were hungry that day. Yeah, it was tired. awesome. It was really good. It saved our family. So one word of caution, if you go to Banff, you're probably going to want to go across the river and have a look at the Banff Springs Hotel, which is very famous. It is very old. It is very beautiful. And it is very on a one-way street. So do not think that on your way out of town, you're going to swing by with your trailer in tow or in your motorhome to just have a look because you will not be able to turn back around. Not that we did that by experience. We actually went by with the truck without the trailer, so it was fine. (laughs) But we did note that, yeah, there's no way you would be getting in here and turning around in this parking lot if you had a rig attached to you. Yeah, and I think if at all you do have to transit the town with your trailer, you're going to get in and you're going to get out. But you have to know that traffic is busy in the town. And I think we were not that far from the downtown, but it still took us a good 20 minutes of sitting in traffic just to come back from that. Mm-hmm, for sure. So pack your patience. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about our horse riding adventure? We had an excellent horse riding adventure. So it was Isla's birthday and there's obviously going to be no birthday party. And we gave her a couple options of doing a gondola ride or doing horseback riding. And so she elected to do horseback riding, which was a really great trail ride. Very helpful staff, very friendly. Horses were nice and tame. It was kind of through the forest and along the river, and I think we just had a great time doing it. Um, I definitely do it again. I definitely recommend it. 
Yeah, absolutely. They have rides one, two, and three hours. And I think they also do one where you go out and have like a cookout and a picnic and stuff. We stuck to the one hour ride. Um, the girls are not overly familiar with horses. And there was a few of even me, like I used to ride horses, but I haven't been on a horse in like at least 20 years. So I mean, there was a few of us that were walking like true cowboys when we got off. It's a bit bit hard on your joints if you're not used to it but you you just get a really good vantage point of the Bow River which is which is beautiful and turquoise and they do a really good job of giving you a lot of history of the area as well yeah and if you don't have time to get into the backcountry this is probably the thing that gets you closest to nature quickly to get a feel for it and the staff was really friendly the guide at the back I chatted with was a lady from Australia and she was just coming to the end of her work term here in Canada. So it's really interesting people that you're going to meet. And I would say, you know, if you know anything about us, we travel very, very far on single trips, but we tend to do trips where we might only be in a specific location for three or four days at a time. So we sort of are very strategic about picking highlights. So we pick highlights we of our trip where we can kind of fit in some of the big stuff, some of the famous stuff. And then we make our more detailed list on like when we want to go back and only do Drumheller or if we want to only do Banff, this is where we want to explore more. So a lot of this is going to be like surface level type information, but it's that's the way we kind of figure out what is worth doing again, what areas we want to explore more. This is going to be like kind of a general overview of Banff, if you haven't figured that out already. It is, but I feel... And I said this to you several times when we were out there. I really, really enjoyed it. And I feel like it's the kind of place you could drive out there and spend a week or seven, six or seven or eight days and really have lots of cool stuff to explore in depth and not be bored. And I think that's the sign of going somewhere is that you want to go back to it. Like mm-hmm. you left something on the table that you didn't get to see. So if you're not the, the dashing travelers that we are, Don't be afraid to go out there and make a specific trip just to go to Banff and explore it in depth as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I do want to mention the gondola because that was the other option we gave Isla for her birthday trip. And she chose the horseback riding, which was cool. That was totally fine. But the Banff gondola is a very well-traveled. The elevation at the top of it is like almost 7,500 feet. It takes eight minutes to get to the top. Up at the top, they have, it overlooks Sulphur Mountain, which was one of the besides Tunnel Mountain is one of the two largest peaks in Banff. And they have um, kind of sunset watch parties. It's a great place to watch the sunset. They have a couple of bistros, restaurants at the top. It is not inexpensive. I think it's somewhere around the $50 mark, I think for an adult to go up the gondola, but definitely worth it. But plan on, you can, there's some trails up at the top. You can plan on spending quite a few hours up at the top. And if I remember correctly, it's time of day pricing. Like on weekends, it's probably $60. Um, Middle of the week, it's about $55 for adults, you know, in terms of children's pricing. So children's pricing is half of the adult pricing. So, you know, if it's $57 to go up, it's $28.50 for a child. So for a family of four, it it can be a, a lot of money, especially if you're planning on eating dinner up there. But it's also a great place for a date night. Just saying. It's uh, it's beautiful up there. Noted. <laughs> For next time. I think maybe we should talk about climate. Yeah. And this maybe goes back to why we needed to wear our jeans and pick up a belt at the Western store. When we left Ontario, it was like 4,000 degrees Celsius with tons of humidity. And I guess life was busy and 
we were just kind of assumed that we'd be fine to leave with with shorts and we wouldn't really need too much warm clothing and well it wasn't exceptionally cool when we were in Banff it wasn't I wouldn't say it was cold I think you're going to want to bring a light jacket a sweater and a pair of long pants and you're probably going to have to layer your clothing in such a way that you can dress for the day and it's it might be you might leave early in the morning and it's cold and you need a jacket and a sweater and a hat and maybe little ones will want their gloves and by the afternoon you're stripped down to your t-shirt so I think you need to plan for a range of clothing options relative to the weather. Mm -hmm. And I will say we're not new travelers. I grew up in this part of Canada and I don't know it was a failure. It's like every camping trip you leave home without something. And for us, it was clothes. It was warm clothes. (laughs) So it was just one of those trips. I kind of feel we were a little bit under the gun to get on the road. We had some stressful stuff happening in our personal lives at that particular time. So it was just like, get everything in the trailer. Let's get on the road. So um, we do normally plan for this kind of stuff. But yes, it is very much it's never going to hit, you know, 40 degrees. And if it does, it's like for a day. You know, it's it's just not that type of climate. So um, layers are your friends, definitely. And bring a sensible pair of shoes. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be afraid of going to Banff. And, you know, if there's something for all levels of fitness, but everybody's going to need a sensible pair of shoes. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we talk about Lake Louise and the variety of footwear we saw on the hiking trails. And Dan's great save. Yes. We'll talk about that next episode. <laughs> So I want to talk a bit about Cave and Basin National Historic Site, which I mentioned. So while it is inside the park, which you have already paid admission to get in, it also requires admission. However, if you have the park's pass, it's included. Cave and Basin is basically the birthplace of what became Banff National Park. And the reason it's so popular is just because it's a really neat sulfur spring inside a cave um it's very smelly um if you've ever been to a sulfur spring it is quite smelly but it is actually really close to downtown obvious for obvious reasons that's kind of like like we said the birthplace of the national park so everything was sort of built around that so banff avenue is the main street in downtown banff and if you go down banff avenue across the bridge across the bow river and you turn left you're gonna hit the hotel. You're going to hit the... Um, Bamp Springs Hotel? You got it. <laughs> I got it, folks. The Bamp Springs Hotel. Thank you. If you go right, you're going to hit the Cave and Basin and the trail riding. So the Cave and Basin consists of uh, a number of walking trails. There's there's upper springs and lower springs. The, the lower spring and the cave has been sort of built up. Like you can't walk into the cave from the outside. You have to enter the interpretive center There used to be a swimming pool, which was naturally heated from the natural hot springs that has been sort of kind of covered over. It is still there and it's still actually kind of neat to see sort of at the turn of the last century is when they, you know, built it into a bit of a swimming pool kind of attraction where people would come and not only experience the cave, but also swim in the natural swimming pools. Um, But they've kind of taken what has been the covered over pool and they've turned it into a bit of an interpretive center. You find out about the cave. There's interactive exhibits. There's a great film that plays to show you kind of the natural history of the area and the indigenous peoples and what they use those springs for in terms of like healing waters, etc. There is even some history on the railways uh, that, that made their way through 
So there's a lot of great stuff. I would say, I mean, it's not overall a very large site. Like you could probably do it in two to three hours. If you're sensitive to smells, the sulfur smell can be quite strong at times. <laughs> and that is also what I mentioned, the Banff Gondola that goes up Sulfur Mountain. Now you know why Sulfur Mountain is named Sulfur Mountain. <laughs> oh, I, I know what I want to talk about. There was some crazy snail at the Cave and Basin. There's like this, there's like this endangered snail. There's this endangered snail that's like unique to Canada and the warm waters of like warm sulfur waters. And it's kind of only found in very small numbers. And as you arrive into the interpretive center, there's a guide standing in sort of a natural pool. And when we passed by, they were pointing at something that was kind of floating on some algae in the water. And these snails are the tiniest things I've ever seen. Like they wouldn't even be, I bet you they'd be about the size of like a pinhead. It was basically classified at risk of extinction somewhere back in the early 2000s. And, and the Cave and Basin site has done just a fantastic job of, of maintaining this population of snails, which is also one of the reasons you are no longer allowed to swim in the spring water. Yep, but it was really cool. I think it kind of tied up the end of the day for us. We did it right after the horseback riding. It was like a nice little bow tie on the day. Mm -hmm. Learned a lot about the area and the history, why Banff is the way that it is. So that's kind of a really cool thing to see. Yep, for sure. So other than that, that pretty much wraps up our couple of days in Banff. Um, we'll probably get back to or reference part of some of Banff when we talk about Lake Louise. Uh, but look forward to next episode in two weeks when we talk about our grand tea house challenge, Dan saving the day, probably the coldest morning we ever experienced there, and um, just some of the absolute highlights of my life on this trip to Lake Louise. Yep, Lake Louise was really awesome. I guess it's just there's so much to do there. We just can't put it into one podcast. So we so will stay tuned. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you again in a couple of weeks, folks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.